You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director for Reminiscence, Lisa Joy. You're going on a journey, a journey through memory. All you have to do is follow my voice. We're closed. I know, I'm sorry it's late. We have time for one more job. began to rise and war broke out. Nostalgia became a way of life. There wasn't a lot to look forward to. So people began looking back. Nothing is more addictive than the past. No, 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 put me back. Put me back. She's moved on, and you should too. People don't just that to find where she'd gone, I had to know where she'd been. Was she running from the past? Or racing back towards it? How much did you really know her? How much did you love? Who was she? Who was she when not with me? You think you want answers? Well, you don't. Where is she? Where is she? Arson, bribery, murder. People love their secrets. Don't go down this path. Stay here, in this life. Blind eye to plenty. I have to do this. That machine of yours, how close can you get before the illusion's broken? You're going on a journey. All you have to do is follow my voice. Hi, Lisa. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I am so excited to be talking with you. I want to just say up front that I am a huge fan of Westworld, and I am just so, so incredibly happy and excited that you're making your feature directorial debut with Reminiscence. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's so lovely of you to say. So I want to first start off by asking, actually, $68 million uh, production budget here, first-time feature female director working in the Hollywood studio system here, not everyone gets that kind of a great opportunity. So how, how did you feel when that was offered to you and you had this oppor- this amazing opportunity? Uh, well, first of all, I wish it had been a $68 million opportunity. Oh. <laughs> we didn't quite get that much. Um, but uh, next time, there's going to be it's going to be even more wetter and uh, more, more action uh, as soon as I get that. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I mean, I did the ability, though, to tell a story that is original, uh, but that has scope mm-hmm. and stars, incredible movie stars. Um, that is that is rare. 
you know, for a woman, all the more rare. Uh, I definitely recognize that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the things that helped me to get to this extremely lucky opportunity mm-hmm. for anyone, <laughs> um, but especially a first time director who's female, uh, was I used the open market. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I, I was a very lower level TV writer. Uh, when I sold a script, mm-hmm. I thought about putting a man's name on it when I sold it because I thought it would sell for more money, oh. and especially because it's action. Um, but I didn't in the end. And by nature of the fact that there was a bidding war, uh, it allowed me to secure certain rights to it, like being a producer. And then once I was a producer attached to it, um, it allowed me to hire myself as a director. So nepotism. Self-nepotism. I don't know if there's a word for that, but it's uh, that's what I did. Uh, so I gave myself that opportunity. But then, you know, I had to actually get financing for the film. And mm-hmm. for that, I have to thank my team at Kilter who helped me pull together a presentation and visuals. I knew exactly what I wanted to film and how I wanted it to look. And also to get, uh, this wouldn't have been possible without Hugh Jackman, you know? Sure. From the very beginning, you know, he listened to the story of what I wanted to do and jumped in and helped me record something for Berlin with him introducing the film, which is unheard of in a, um, you know, in an international film festival like that. Mm -hmm. And I think with his support and the support of all my collaborators, we were able to, again, get multiple bidders interested in Berlin. And so by the time Warner Brothers came, um, they knew exactly what they were getting. They were getting Hugh, they knew they were getting the script. And I was so um, detailed in my presentation of the world. They pretty much knew the visuals they were going to get and the world. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so I think we all kind of went into bed together knowing what we were going to make and knowing it's always a risk to do something original, yeah. um, but that we were going to hold hands and take that risk together. And uh, I've been very fortunate in that my partners have been incredibly, incredibly supportive throughout. Yeah, I, I really hope that it can be a great serving example of more opportunities like this being given to women directors within Hollywood, because it does feel that there are obviously different journeys for everyone, but it's very, very rare to see, like I said, a first time feature not be uh, an indie film that, you know, premieres at someplace like Sundance or something along those lines. So I, yeah. I think that this is a really, really incredible uh, feat here. You know, you talk about the process of getting the film financed, made, and so on and so forth. But where did the idea originate uh, for this? Because you said to yourself, it's an original concept, and those are also very rare to come by nowadays in a world that's dominated so much by IPs. So, where did uh, the themes and ideas for reminiscence come from for you? I mean, I think that the theme and the heart of it, which is something that I always wanted to explore. Um, I, I, I was um, I mentioned before to someone when I first met Jonah, it was on the red carpet of the premiere for Memento. I was his <sighs> friend, platonic date, you know. Yep. And he seemed pretty cute, but I figured he was probably an asshole because he's a writer, you know. And I was like, <laughs> um, and then afterwards, I saw the film and I loved it. And we all went out for we went out to that deli, Cantor's Cantor's Deli, and had milkshakes. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, this guy's charming and handsome, but oh my God, am I mad at him because I'm obsessed with memory and I want to do something about memory. (laughs) And now he's just done it. And 
what am I ever going to do? And so I, I complained to him that I wanted to do something about memory. And the, it only took like, you know, a couple decades for me to get around to it, but <laughs> better late than never. But, uh, you know, the story is just to talk about how there are certain themes that I think always interest people, you know, mm -hmm. themes of love, loss, memory, time. These have been the themes of literature, music, all, all forms of the arts since time immemorial. And, you know, I just took my musings on it, which were especially personal to me at that time because I was pregnant and I just lost my grandfather. So the specter of mortality was kind of hanging over me along with the, you know, hope of, of new life. And so it all was very intense, but, you know, there's this sort of intellectual philosophical side, I think, to a lot of my writing and my, and my interest in general mm -hmm. that, when you combine that theme and that emotional inquiry with real advancements that are being made in science and real changes that are happening in the world, that brings an element of genre to it and a sort of story catalyst and a world to it, all of which independent elements I'm really interested in. And so by putting them together, I think that became, um, that became the story. Amazing. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. Uh, you're creating this real world environment that is set in the future. There are these environmental concerns with the water rising. You have this really incredibly inspired production design in this film that I absolutely adored. 
In terms of the influences, though, I obviously detected the film noir just hanging all over this movie. Can you talk about uh, how that influenced both the design of the world and also the story that you wanted to tell? You know, film noir definitely um, is it's kind of like the scaffolding for a lot of the way in which the mystery unfolds. You know, I mm -hmm. wanted to keep those traditional bones which I find, I find noir to be such a classic and sexy genre, right? The it's, it's dark and twisty, but it's kind of timeless. You never look at it and right. feel like it's cheesy. You know, I, I loved out of the past and, and that had, I, that had big influence on this as did movies like vertigo, right? Which are mm -hmm. about the gaze and how our gaze can fool us. So for the aesthetics of it, I wanted to find a place in a lot of science fiction, all of a sudden everything changes. The buildings all look like tulips or something, right? And, <laughs> and that is a beautiful, beautiful aesthetic that I, I also enjoy, but mm -hmm. I didn't want this to be that. Like if you are in LA, are you in LA right now? I'm in New York actually. Oh, you're in New York. New York is even better, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at the window, there's still the same brownstones there. And every so often you get a tall spire, right? Yeah. But, mm -hmm. but a city's landscape doesn't change overnight like that. Like the things that are old about it tend to stay like in LA entire malls and museums have gone up and down but the bodega on the corner is still there you know <laughs> and so totally. I wanted to like actually posit how the future might look you know and Ocean Drive in Miami that's not going anywhere that is mm -hmm. an iconic part of Miami and so to take that and those art deco bones which happen to be to my eye classically beautiful and then add the additional kind of dilapidated splendor of a city in its twilight, of a city, you know, being lapped up by waves, being engulfed in searing light so bright that you have to retreat to night to go out. I wanted to take that world and run with it to its logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. And then working with Howard, you know, who I also work with on Westworld, who's the most incredible collaborator. And it's almost like we don't need to speak. We can just mind melt you know I, I send weird little art references and poems to Paul Paul Cameron and Howard and that's kind of how we communicate you know um yeah and they know what I mean when I say when I say I want it to feel warm to the touch I want the colors to be oranges not blues when it comes to the lighting and I want Miami not not cheesy fluorescence but sexy fluorescence mm -hmm. so you know fluorescence that feel evocative and sensual so I, the lighting that Howard uh, and Paul managed to weave into the sunken coast was 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 really was really beautiful. And by the way, mm -hmm. you could actually sail down that coast, and I did. I put my kids in the boat, <laughs> and I paddled down sunken Miami, which was located in a flooded theme park in New Orleans. But it was the most surreal experience I've ever had. I in fact refused to look at it until the last minute. And I closed my eyes and they led me onto set and I opened them. And it was like, it was like Christmas morning when you're a kid. I could not believe the magic that my incredible team was able to bring to life. It was insane. Wow. <laughs> it's the benefit of being able to sometimes shoot on location like that. You get those amazing experiences. Oh, it was, it was crazy. It blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned working with uh, past collaborators here on uh, Westworld. So can you just uh, talk about bringing on uh, some others here, uh, including uh, Raman Jawadi, Angela Sarafi, and uh, Tan Diwaya Newton? I mean, they're all involved here. And then you have new people like Hugh Jackman, as you mentioned before. Did it almost feel like you're 
you know, reuniting with uh, some old friends while introducing some new ones into it. Like he just talked about that process of mixing uh, both worlds from Westworld and Reminiscence. It very, it very much felt like that. Look, I, I have worked closely enough with um, Paul and Howard and Ramin that we do have this incredible shorthand. And even with Ramin, for instance, I started talking about the score and the design of the music and the themes of it um, well before prep ever started, months before. Mm-hmm. And to have people like that from the ground up really sharing a vision with you is so important. And 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 then when I when it comes to working with people like Tandaway and Angela, it's like I'm working with them as friends again. Yeah. And again, that short time we know each other's work ethic, but it's also because I know them as actors mm-hmm. and I know what they're capable of, I can only explore some facets of that in the current role that I've made for them. Mm-hmm. And I just get so excited to just blow out of that box and do something entirely new, which is what I was able to do with their characters in Reminiscence, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's like working with the same person, but in a completely new context and just getting to watch them shine in their performance. That's really, really great. And I'm sure it was a fantastic experience for you having that comfortability on a on your you know first feature as well. Absolutely. Um, and I knew they would get along with Hugh and Rebecca because I've been talking to them for so long, mm-hmm. Hugh and Rebecca, that it was like I knew them well by the time we started prep I was sending them poems and all sorts of weird things but they <laughs> they really you know I think the the creative bond there had was very intense you know and so by the time we all got together it was already like a family reunion yeah uh my final question and I I, I feel compelled to ask this because it just ties into the movie so much um what is a past memory that you yourself would like to get into the tank and revisit mm. Okay, so I said I said one thing for somebody else asked me this, and I said one thing. So do you want a different thing? Because I can give you another memory. <laughs> There's mean, a couple. Do I get a couple yeah. bits in this tank? I, I, I imagine that we all have different things in life that we yeah. want to visit. So, I yeah. childhood before, which I definitely agree with. I would like to try that. I think I'd like to meet Jonah again on that red carpet. See what that See what that feels like. And... Uh, and if I could have the knowledge I do now, I, I would be a little less um, antagonistic about the memento memory thing. And I'd be like, you got this round. I'm getting this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Lisa, thank you once again so, so much for your time today. The film is called Reminiscence. It's going to be on HBO Max and on theaters on August 20th. And we're really, really excited for you to once again, like I said, have this opportunity for this original film. And we cannot wait for audiences to see it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. No problem. You have a great rest of your day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director for the new film Reminiscence, Lisa Joy, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Reminiscence is currently playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max from Warner Brothers. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.